Ark, and you're listening to, well, it's the Shakespeare Show. No, it's the Arts Report, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. I'm back on the air! Woo! Hold your applause, Woo. please. <laughs> and it's going to be a very fun show today. Uh, we're joined to start with by Nancy Lee, one of the personalities behind Telepresence, which is a very interesting VR project, which puts together the talents of jazz trumpeting, uh, virtual design, and of course, the unique experience that is virtual reality. Nancy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. And uh, I do. I would like to ask uh, if you could explain telepresence a little bit because it's a very interesting concept and it's rooted in some very interesting dynamics. So telepresence, it's a live virtual reality, live performance, music experience. Um, so essentially you are um, experiencing uh, a musical performance uh, where you're wearing the VR headset uh, without headphones um, and your experience is... Uh, united collectively through the music. Um, so unlike uh, regular VR experiences, which is really individualistic, uh, where you kind of have a lineup and you have a, you know, you kind of wait your turn, you put on the headset and then you put on the headphones and you kind of check out into the virtual world for a little bit. Um, and then you return and then you have this other lineup and you pass on the headset. So unlike that, we're doing a uh, a collective witnessing of a live performance uh, together. We have eight audience um, members, so there's eight slots per showing, and uh, we have an eight-channel sound system uh, that's uh, eight tops with two subs, and then our trumpet performer, J.P. Carter, also brings four amps, so it's a very sound-immersive experience. And I think that's a very interesting uh, sort of conceit to... Uh, build this on because I think the design going into virtual reality is often associated with things like video games, which on the one hand, multiplayer games provide uh, a sense of conduct, but also are associated with isolated people. And with single player games can really further that because it's just you in this virtual world. Was that at any point a concern in this? Was there a sort of attempt to alleviate this isolation? Yeah, so essentially we want to kind of, just because there's so much um, technological, you know, developments with like virtual reality, with its headset, with uh, the technology used uh, to create virtual environments, we want to see what we can do uh, with this technology and apply it in a way that it hasn't been applied uh, before. And for us, um, Kieran Bumber, who's my collaborator on this project, uh, we're interested in collective witnessing experiences, like much like the experience of going to a live music concert or going to a, the cinema where you would go with friends uh, and you would have an experience beforehand, a social experience beforehand where, you know, you're waiting for the cinema or the movie to start and then you watch it and then you kind of, and then you, you know, you uh, leave the theater together and you kind of chat about what you just watched. So I think the, socia the, the social aspect of this kind of concert setting that we're uh, creating is one of the main points or kind of is a really important uh, part of this project. And that's interesting to me because the artistic medium you've chosen for this is the jazz trumpet, which is an interest. I, I just want to know what kind of motivated that collaboration. With um, that would be with uh, Grammy Award-winning uh, trumpet player J.P. Carter. Uh, yeah, so J.P. Carter and Kieran Bumber they've uh, they've collaborated on projects together before, okay. um, and um, 
uh, both of them, uh, Kieran and JP, are both improvisers. Uh, so I think that's where the dra- uh, the jazz trumpet, uh, that's where that collaboration stems. Um, so JP will be doing live electronics. So he's going to be using trumpet sounds uh, with his loop pedals. And he's going to be, uh, you know, playing and performing like a structured uh, improvisation um, uh, performance uh, for each showing. So each showing will be unique based on the kinds of audience that will be in the space and uh, JP's response to the audience. Uh, the uh, the performance will adjust like an like a live uh, improvisatory performance. Ah, so it's sort of linked into jazz performance that exactly. way. Exactly. And what kind of preparation was involved? Was he sort of working on this right now or did Kieran or you come to him and say we want you to do this and he sort of constructed it around that? Uh JP actually, well, when we when we got funded for the project and we began the research process for the project, uh, JP was actually on board uh, well in advance. Um, so JP and Kieran both uh, worked on the composition together. So I'm actually working on the more virtual environment and the VR design uh, side of things. So we kind of like divide our tasks up, and JP and Kieran uh, worked uh, work mostly on the music uh, side of things and. Because one of our main intention for this piece, because VR is used as like a visual medium, used in cinematic or video game uh, games, as, uh, usually, uh, we wanted to subvert the kind of um, visual and audio hierarchy that is kind of generally associated with the use of this new technology. Um, so we had Kieran and JP develop the sound first, and then utilizing the sound, we built a virtual environment in support of the sound. Ah. That sounds like pretty uncharted territory. Are there any kind of influences you had while doing this? Any kind of aesthetic you were going for? Um, well, my background, I'm a music video director, so I worked oh, okay. in that hierarchy often. But it's still different because music videos, you're often creating a cinematic uh, or narrative experience. Um, but for this, we want to create a deep listening kind of state of being for the audience. Um, so... Uh, that being said, you know, the visuals uh, that we kind of created, obviously, it's, you know, it's all subjective. You know, we um, so me and Lane Butler, which is a visual artist that I collaborated with, um, we listened to the music and then we generated different color palettes. And then we kind of created um, sh- uh, created like images in Photoshop and then animated those images and then uh, developed some skybox uh, for the virtual environment. And then also, um, you know, designed some uh like game objects in Cinema 4D uh, that, you know, we feel resonates with the composition. And, okay, that's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm trying to think about that because I don't know that much about I Don't Game and I don't know that much about VR. And I'm thinking for a lot of people, this may be their first experience with VR because it's still a very new thing. And I'm just wondering, like, when you were directing music videos, like, did you, do you would, would you ever want to do, like, a VR music video for, like, a band? Are you thinking about that in the future? Yeah, that could happen. Um, I've directed, so far, I've directed a virtual reality contemporary dance film. Um, so with that, it's also coming from a cinematic tradition where Kieran did the sound design after I've locked the edit. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that could be a possibility for I, sure. I'd be thinking, wow, the new remake of Suspiria is really going there. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what kind of music videos did you, did, did, uh, did you direct, by the way? Um, my most Before recent this. one was for a local. Do you direct? I should say. Yeah, a, a most the most recent one is for a local band, IMUR. I don't know if you heard of them. Check them out. 
Uh, they're super red. It's just the I letters I am you are. Um, they are electronic music band. Um, very amazing, sultry vocals by Jenny, who's also a dear friend of mine. Um, yeah, so I would rec- that's a and the music video is Swirl. Miss you. Oh, okay, Swirl because there's one here like Miss You Hate You. Yeah, that's just... that's one as well. That's the, the most their most recent uh, release. You've done you did that video as well? Uh, no, I did the last the one before this one. It's called Swirl. Can I also ask something about uh, what you were saying about syncing the video and audio? Yeah. So just technically speaking, since uh, the musician is uh, making new music at each session, mm-hmm. how do you sync the uh, the visual to that? So it's, we have um, some audio that is uh, fixed. Um, so I'm so there's there's different layers of audio. So mm-hmm. Kieran has also created an electroacoustic composition um, that is be- playing from the eight point two sound system that we have. Um, so that is fixed, and then JP is playing his loop pedals on top through his four amps, um, and then that we have you know we have like. It's it's cute. We have a queuing system, so we've queued it. So he'll start his loops at a certain point, mm-hmm. but you know there's still some improvisatory like elements to that. And then his playing is um, structured improv. That's amazing. Yeah. So there's there's definitely elements of it that is um, fixed already beforehand. So you know the kind of improv element adds like the experimentation and the surprises that makes every single experience unique and different also even for, for the us itself. yeah for, and it's exactly. it's more fun that way too for him mm-hmm. to play like that for sure and sort of as a coda i i always try to ask this what do you think we'll see from this in the future like what would you kind of forecast for this kind of involvement in media well i think people will start to use VR technology in different ways in the future. Um, You know, like right now, our networked experience is only like we have uh, eight headsets that's networked for each each viewing, which isn't a huge number of people. It's a pretty intimate um, kind of experience, which kind of lends itself more uh, to like a theatrical kind of experience, performance experience, rather than like your typical live music uh, concert performance. So, um, I think in the future, I think um, this technology will make us think about, you know, music performance through a different lens, through choreographic lenses, through theatrical lenses. And who knows? We may end up seeing our favorite concerts in VR. Yeah, exactly. It's a cool thought. You know, the future is now. Yeah. <laughs> so where can we check this out? Where and when? So this is happening at the Western Front um, on December 14th and 15th. Uh, we have four showings each day um, and with an artist talk at 8 p.m. So we have two showings before and then the artist talk at 8 and then two showings afterwards. So um, seating is extremely limited, so highly recommend um, pre-registering. I think there are still a few slots left on the Saturday um, Saturday performances. Okay, so je- definitely check it out. Yeah, well, it'd be very small groups, obviously. Yeah. So if you can, check that out. Nancy, it was a thrill to have you in the studio. And we were, well, it's a fascinating concept. Great, thank you for having me. Cheers. Break a leg. Um, and uh, we're just going to take a quick uh, PSA break right now. We're going to take a brief musical break. We're going to see if we can get you some of, uh, some of JP's previous work, actually. And then we'll be back with some reviews, a Jawbone segment, which will be weird because I'm playing myself. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, well, see you soon. Cheers.
Wait, how's the thing? I haven't been on air in a while. This is weird. This is so <laughs> interesting. What, me, me trying to relearn this? No. Do whatever the heck you want. Do whatever the heck you want. Creative BC offers grants for musicians and bands across British Columbia through the Amplify BC Career Development Program. Apply now until December 12th. The program supports sound recording, music videos, and marketing initiatives for all genres. Sign up for an info session and learn more at creativebc.com. Get your applications in today. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. was not Ornette Coleman. That was uh, J.P. Carter uh, doing very impressive trumpet work. Um, so that's a little smidgen of what you may uh, receive uh, while at Telepresence. If your taste is a little more um, uh, uh, um, on that, uh, <laughs> you uh, can check out uh, Bach Collegium Japan, or BCJ, doing Bach, Handel, and Vivaldi on December 9th at 3 p.m. at the Chan Center at UBC uh, with uh, soprano Joanne Lum and music director Masaki Suzuki and a bunch of other people who are in the press release that I'm currently reading right now. Yeah, uh, we, we get a lot of Bach around the Christmas season. Um, Why? Well, uh, he wrote a lot of religious compositions, I think. And, you know, I, I, I like Bach a it lot. It is so I'm just It is, you know? They got Bach, Handel, and Vivaldi. Oh, I'm assuming the Handel's the Messiah. They're having a feature, I think, at the Cinematheque, too, which is a movie about Handel's Messiah and all the people who sing it. And, like, some of those people are, like, the clan choir. <laughs> mm. You know? Which is, I guess, uh, 
That's an unfortunate thing to think about, but you can visualize it. That's not going to be happening here, though. Again, that's Early Music Vancouver, BCJ, Chan Center, uh, 3 p.m., no, uh, December 5th, forever. Uh, turn to Anthony Fantano there for a second. Now, um, oh, yes, I believe I promised a Jawbone segment, didn't I? But first, we have a review of Blind Date. Yeah. With our correspondent, Lua Presidio. Lua, how are you doing? I'm good. Um... <laughs> Well, you went yeah. with your mother, right? Yeah, I went with my mom. It was really fun. And my mom's first language is not English, obviously. Um, but she actually understood most of it. Sometimes I'd have to translate a joke or two. But it was pretty cool. So Blind Date is a improv play where there's only basically one character. It's like one actress basically holding up the entire show. Um, and it's called Blind Date because she, the basic premise of the play is that she can't, she, this is a French woman named Mimi, and she has come to Vancouver for a few weeks, um, and a friend of hers sent her up with a blind date, and she's waiting at the restaurant, and it's been two hours, and she's waiting, and no one has showed up, so she decides to ask someone from the audience to be her blind date. Um, and then they witness her death of tuberculosis. <laughs> oh, wait, that's a different Mimi. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. proceed. <laughs> proceed. Different Mimi. This one's a French Mimi. That is a French Mimi. Oh, her, her name's... Her, she is also... La okay. Bo- in La Boheme. Oh, no, it's La Boheme. Yeah, yeah, I think... Yeah, her name's Mimi in La Boheme. No, I know, but... She, okay, anyway. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was thinking about rent, but okay. <laughs> well, it's based on La Boheme, so yeah, in that, in that case, American. Uh, that's also... It, HIV. I assume that doesn't come up. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not at all. It's a comedy, so it's very light. It's very fun. Um, so um, this show has actually been done 712 times. Well, when I saw it, it was the 712th time. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty awesome. The actress, uh, what's her name? She did such a good job. Like, And it's if you think about it, it's so hard because... It's basically a one-woman show, and you have to interact. And if you get a person that's not, like, outgoing or a person that's not, like, you know, you just have to really be, like, on point. It could be as awkward as an actual blind date. Yeah. (laughs) So, and you have to make it great. Um, So, there are actually three different memes, but the one I saw was Tess Degenstein. Okay. Um, She was really good. And basically, it's Mimi, and every once in a while, there comes in another character just to add dynamic to the to the play, like a waiter for the for the restaurant, or like the police, or something else, just to add like um, a little bit more movement and something else different happening in the play. Um, so, I got a really I was like my mom and I got really lucky because the guy that she ended up choosing was just so good. Like, <laughs> oh, he, he was into it. Yeah, he was very into it, but at the same time, not into it at all because he went there with his wife. Oh, and, <laughs> and the happy anniversary, honey. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, like, at the beginning of the show, they create this environment where their actors are acting, uh, walking around. They're giving out free compliments. I brought, I brought a few of the ones I got. <laughs> For example, a free compliment, and it says, "Everyone in the room wishes they were on your arms tonight, 
or like uh-uh. you know that's yeah <laughs> so they give out free compliments to start talking to people because it's very important like they value consent a lot so no one's up there that they don't Good. want to be uh, you know, so like unless you talk to one of the cast members and say, hey, I'd be interested in being a possible Mimi blind date, um, they won't choose you. Mimi won't choose you. Um, so apparently what happened with this couple is that um, they were like, oh, would you like to be? And they and the guy was like, yeah, sure. And the, the his wife was like, please choose him. And then apparently she went up to Mimi like while they were still like walking around in the audience and be like, you can do what, like, please choose him and go to town. And I was like, <laughs> yes, that's the kind of support you need. This like, is the test, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and so, like, throughout the entire play, the dude was like, um, I feel, because, like, so, like, they separate in a little square area, and they're like, if you every, anything in the scene ever feels uncomfortable, just say time out, and we'll go into the little square area. That's the real world. You know, the real world. And that's when you can, like, talk to each other and, like, uh-huh. tell everyone how you're feeling and if everything's okay. And once you go into Mimi's world, you're single, first of all. <laughs> you're not married because that okay. would be awkward. <laughs> and it's kind of like that world. So every once in a while, he'd be like, oh, he'd be, like, in the play. And he'd be like, I just feel that, like, we're being watched, you know? <laughs> like by this person Hmm. and i'm like (laughs) and it was just so entertaining and the great thing about this show is that every single time it's going to be a different show and it doesn't matter that it has been performed over 700 times it's probably i i actually want to go see it again because i'm sure it's going to be as entertaining or even more entertaining than the first time Hmm. but one thing to point out that um that mimi pointed out and we were like wow was that um so the guy was also really lucky because not lucky but kind of smart about it because well, I, I imagine he would have had to been in the mindset of a white house press secretary <laughs> like, like okay Jay, just doing what is can't get in trouble can't get in trouble it's like no, no it yeah. like his wife is a champ yeah his wife was like do it, it. Does. <laughs> it does sound like it. yeah but the thing is like uh, they were at a restaurant, and right? And at the beginning of the play, she goes like, would you like to drink anything? And he drank like three glasses of beer throughout the show. Was it, were they giving him real beer? Yeah, they were giving him real beer. I'm glad I get to this show. <laughs> yeah. Okay, serious. And at one point, he goes like, um, time out. And they sit down and he's like, I really need to pee. And she was like, I can't hold you here. So they had to escort him out. And she stopped. And she was like, this is the first time in 700 whatever shows that anyone has ever left to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And she was like, I don't even know what to do. I guess we have to move on to the next part. And there's a part of the show where the audience actually chooses what happens next, which is also pretty fun. It sounds like a pretty cool show. Did your mother enjoy it? Yeah, my mom really liked it. She left um, being like, I can't believe this is the last night. The show was so good. I loved it and everything. And I was like, yeah, mom. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. That's terrific. Yeah. So I, I really recommend it. It was so great. So funny. It's a really chill night. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Like, there's a lot that is like, it's not, nothing is ever planned, right? But at the same time, there are some aspects of a relationship that come up unexpectedly and because they do and it kind of makes you think every once in a while, even though they're very comic and you know that these people have like don't know each other and don't know what's going on. But yeah, 
All right. So definitely check it out. Where is it? It's the... Gold Corp, right? No. Isn't it? Is that the the Arts Club Gold Corp stage? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's because it's BMO. BMO. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that that is confusing with Google Maps because there's another BMO stage at SFU. And there's yeah, then there's another there. Yeah, the SFU has the Gold Corp as well. Yeah. Oh come on. Yeah, that's why I was like, no, it's not Gold Corp because I was thinking about the SFU one. Yeah. But yeah, they're that. on until December thirtieth. So go check it out. Um, it's definitely worth it. You will have a lot of fun and go with your significant other because it's always fun to watch awkward couples if you're like in a happy relationship <laughs> does she always choose guys though uh okay so i actually w- was a little disappointed because i was like i want to be there <laughs> you know like i was like hi i'd be interested in me being mimi's date and i think uh there is a queer version of them of the show um i'm just not sure when it happens so actually blind date started from a short 10 minutes show and now it's a full de- like fully developed an hour and a half two hour show it sounds like something that was at a fringe for a while and the people worked on it and got it yeah awesome did maybe it's pretty cool to it, see those yeah it's pretty cool and they have developed a queer version but i don't believe this version right now for blind date is the queer version all right yeah well that sounds groovy now speaking of queer theater um our my, my friend shivs who's who Recently saw her by Taylor Mac here, sorry by Taylor Mac, uh, which is currently being performed. And she sat down with me in the studio a couple days ago and talked about it. Uh, that's that's the segue. Oh, <laughs> hey, let's let's that's let's the have review. the weird jawbone situation, and then we're going to talk about Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, which is going to be really interesting once you hear about here. I guess this is a jawbone segment, sort of. What's a jawbone segment? It's this, it's this review thing slash interview thing I've been doing recently. It's kind of fun. Either way, you're still listening to CITR Radio, broadcasting from the unceded territory of the Musqueam people. I'm Jake Clark. I probably played this already, so you may you almost certainly know that. <laughs> and joining me today is Shivangi Sikri, our correspondent, who has recently taken in the play here, uh, which we had an interview about on an earlier Jawbone segment, and is here to tender a review of the play. Hello, everyone. I've been here before. If you remember me, if you don't, I wouldn't blame you. It's fine. I'm not salty. Okay, so let's talk about the show. So if you've heard about it before, you would know that here is not H-E-R-E, as you might presume from hearing it. Haha, <laughs> hearing it. I'm already into the puns. It's H-I-R, as in the non-binary pronoun. It refers to one of the characters, Max, who uses the here pronouns. Um, if you see me hesitate before here pronouns, it is only because I'm getting used to them and not because I'm condescending. Here for here pronouns. Okay, I got it. And we uh, we've gone over the premise of the play. It centers mm-hmm. around a man named Miles returning home after service in the military. Is it Miles or is it Isaac? It's Isaac. Miles is a different character entirely. There we I, go. I, that might be because uh, Miles is Latin for soldier. I don't know. Mm. But he's Isaac. No, that's right. It made an Abraham and Isaac joke. Anyway, Isaac returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and his dad's probably even been worse to him than Abraham was. No attempted sacrifice, but he wasn't an upstanding guy. Yeah, so here's what my best way to describe this play is. 
is that it involves four family members. And they've all got such a unique story about them that, quite frankly, there could have been a play about one of them. But they chose to make it about all four of them, which is what makes it so dynamic. Let me tell you what's going on. So you've got the father. I don't know his name. (laughs) I'm sure he has a name. I don't think it was mentioned, or maybe I missed it. Anyway, you've got the father. He's differently abled after this stroke that he suffered, and at the moment, he doesn't speak very much, and his wife is responsible for taking care of him, such as feeding him, dressing him, putting him to sleep, etc. The story behind him is that he was a very abusive husband before, you know, his... Before um, he had a stroke. Exactly. Before he had a stroke. According to the uh, the the a review in the Georgia Strait, the uh, mm-hmm. the, rev- the the father's name is Arnold. Arnold, uh, played right? By Andrew, and played by Andrew Wheeler. Right, Arnold. And yeah. the thing about Arnold is he was extremely, extremely abusive. It happened very frequently, even more so once Isaac left, because now, as his wife put it, his rage was divided between two people as opposed to three people. He put Max in the hospital about uh, at least once in the emergency room, has beaten him up thrice and beat him, uh, beat him here up uh, thrice since the time that Isaac was gone and at one point raped his wife, just continually verbally abuses her as well. You've got the wife, uh, Patricia, I would want to say. uh, For clarity, the wife is, uh, Paige, is played by Deb Williams, is Isaac's mother uh, and Max's mother as well, and sister Arnold's wife. Correct. And... Paige has gone through quite... Can I Can I swear? Uh, content warning, yeah. Content warning. I'm going to swear for this whole thing. Fucking A. So Paige has gone through a lot of shit. As I told you, she's been raped. She's been verbally abused. She's gone through a lot. And what she does is she takes this, I want to say, opportunity to kind of take revenge on her husband. And that's where it starts to get complicated in this play, right from the bat, because of the way that Paige treats Arnold, which is really abusive. Basically, she gives him his medicine, but she also adds a bunch of random stuff that she wants to. She actually feeds him estrogen, which is not something that he's been prescribed. Yeah, he dr- uh, yeah. she dresses him up as a clown, a, in dresses, and... You see Isaac protest to this, but perhaps to the wrong things. Isaac is protesting to the emasculation of his father, which honestly I think that's fair, Dev. If someone's raped you, do whatever you want in that regards. It's more like the fact that, you know, she's feeding him something that's not prescribed, that's probably not great for his body. He's sleeping in a cardboard box within his own house. He's given an adult diaper that she doesn't clean very often. She purposely makes his drink somewhat solid, and when it drips out of his face, she doesn't clean it. Yeah, so there's a lot of abuse going on, and it really makes you wonder how justified it is and it's very difficult to take a stance on such a complicated this thing. all occurs on stage for clarity this all occurs on stage yeah oh, okay so it's a fun watch okay yeah it's like you find yourself caught between having pity for this man and being absolutely disgusted by his past actions And it's not like he's redeemed. It's not like he's a better person. He's just less able to do what he was able to do before. And with Max, uh, played by Jordan Fowley. So uh, Max identifies as, as far as I can tell, a trans-masculine, genderqueer person. And the Z comes out while Isaac is gone for three years for the war. And 
Z obviously has a very has a difficult time coming out. Z is um, beaten up by uh, Z's friends at school, and Z, uh, her mom is a very supportive person. But one of the problems about Pages and Max mentions this uh, and uses it against her is that she appropriates her's experience. She makes it about herself, and at times she's also like a turf. For those of you who don't know, that's a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, where she kind of uh, criticizes Max for having male privilege, which is kind of a screwed-up argument. She's got a very—all of these characters are very complicated, and like with Max, for example, Max is comp- uh, complicated and problematic in herself. You have Max trying to enact more toxic masculinity just to get her brother Isaac to accept. here as a transmasculine person like what specifically Max starts to side with Isaac on a lot of things that he shouldn't be uh Z shouldn't be considering Z knows what uh her mother has gone through Oh vis-a-vis Arnold and Vis-a-vis Arnold exactly Oh okay and I can't remember exactly but you can see Z portraying more masculine traits that her mom obviously doesn't appreciate and it's not masculine in the sense of gender expression but like quite toxic in the way of speaking back to her. So this seems like kind of a study of violence. Yeah. There's a lot going on and yeah, with Isaac for example. So Isaac says that he left because he wanted to find a way to cope with his father's abuse and to find a way to never let that happen to his mother and his brother again. But what you find is that he really just runs away and towards the climax of the play you see him you see him personifying you see him just portraying all those traits that he hated about his father and it all comes back and the thing about pages is that page isn't just cruel towards her husband which would be somewhat understandable depending on your own moral stance she's cruel towards her sons and i say son and brother towards max because i believe uh z is okay with those terms I think the uh Z switches between gender neutral and masculine terms hmm. from what I derived from the play which is quite short to encapsulate so much by the way. What was I talking about Paige, right? So Paige does this thing where she turns on the blender even though she knows it's traumatizing Isaac and bringing up his PTSD and it's really cruel considering her <laughs> Okay, like, so this yeah. play has no heroes. <laughs> No, none whatsoever. It's okay. a dark comedy and you're left to wonder what you should be laughing at and what you should be crying at. Under what circumstances would you recommend seeing this? I think if you're in for something really intense and just something that has amazing character dynamics. I personally really enjoyed it. It is by no means a light watch. I do. Have- it has a lot of triggering words as well, consider- like including the Tiesler. Tiesler? I'm not going to say it on radio. Ask me later. Okay. This occurred to me just sort of thinking about this. If someone was transphobic and saw this, do you think it would change their mind? Um I don't think so. I don't think that's what the play is kind of meant to do. Hmm. Like it's a very great portrayal of Max and it is written by a trans person and you can see that in the language that is used, which is amazing by the way. It's great representation, but I don't think it's meant to be um targeted towards the art- audience that is necessarily transphobic and changing their mind. I don't think that's the point of the art piece. So, check it out. Yes, absolutely. I loved it. Right. I would highly recommend it. 
All right, so you, you heard us about that. That's Pi Theaters here. That's running at the Orpheum Annex until December 8th. So if you're in for a bit of a rough trip, well, uh, go for a visit. This has been Jake Clark. And Shivangi Sikri. And over to you, Jake. Well, I'm back! <laughs> Thank you, Jake. That was nice of you. Um, well, I'm only back very temporarily. Uh, we're just going to play some ads for you, and then uh, we're going to do a review of, of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a bit of a tonal shift. Quite. Well, if you don't want a tonal shift, here's the Vancouver Tenants Union. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. This Quarter Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theatre, This Quarter lives. Favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. Well, that's, uh, that's a venue for you, Rickshaw Theater. The Rickshaw and the Rio have been great to us in the past. Uh, great people. Another venue that's been great to us is Pacific Theater, which has had some very interesting uh, shows and will continue to have some very interesting ones. Uh, one that listeners of this program may remember is uh, us talking about was Tolkien uh, written by Ron Reed concerning uh, the life of Ernest Hemingway. Uh, no, who are we kidding? Uh, it concerned the life of J.R.R. Tolkien uh, and C.S. Lewis. And fittingly, uh, Mr. Reed's come back again to adapt uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, easily C.S. Lewis's most famous work to the stage. And myself and Margarita saw it this past weekend. How'd you enjoy it? I loved it. It was a really lovely night, and I gotta have you repeat what you said about how it's a highly, highly narrated, highly so <laughs> book. This is the interesting thing about it. This play is basically, uh, it's a reenactment. It's an extremely performative audiobook. Extremely performative. I, love I know. That. <laughs> That's what it is. So the, the the framing device for this play is very interesting. It's uh, Lucy and Peter from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, just basic idea, is these four siblings discover a magical kingdom through a wardrobe and have adventures there. With a lion and a witch. Whoa. Where, would you get Whoa. Where would you get that idea? I don't know. Uh, and uh, it's Lucy and Peter reenacting it in retrospect, and they play all of the roles. So Lucy uh, is played by Rebecca DeBoer, and Peter is uh, <clears throat> excuse me, played by John Voth. And they cumulatively play all of the roles, as I said. Um, they both play Aslan the Lion, which is interesting, because they play him by uh, swaddling themselves in rugs. For uh, DeBoer, she uses the tassel of the rug as a mane, but for Voth, he just uses, uses it as a cape. Which I found interesting. Um, now, Louis, you, have you seen or read *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*? Yeah, both, but like not the play, the movie, and yeah. read the book. But I'm curious, like, is it as the as as if they're kids, like telling the story right after it happened, or like years later? Years later, reminiscing um, when what they were happened, kids, and oh, remember how that happened, and oh, he was the first person I met, and 
All that kind of stuff. Yeah, because it's set in 1962, and the book is explicitly set during the Second World War. Because they okay. they bugged out of London. So, like, mm. they're, they're, like, grown-ups now. Yeah, they're, um, I'm just trying to do some mental math here, because it's 1940s, they'd be, like, they'd all be approaching 30. Oh, okay. I would say. Um... And the uh, the thing about this is that they, in doing this, they narrate what are basically large swaths of Lewis's text. And this actually works because the text is told in past tense, as most uh, novels te- uh, texts were, um, and still are for that matter. And it really does work in that respect, partially because Voth and Debor are really, uh, they're really good with the characterization. They're really good with um, the interplay sort of of the real and the um the reenactment elements which just eventually get blurred which i think was a huge strength of it because the point is i think one thing that adaptations of fantasy and high fantasy films have today which is kind of a problem it wasn't a very well constructed sentence is they tend to over explain they tend to get very lore heavy and i think that Part of the problem with that is that people look at something like uh, the world Tolkien created, which does make sense with these very elaborate rules. But here's the thing. Lord of the Rings is a very long and lore-heavy book, and that's part of the appeal of reading it. But there's a lot of things that don't work if you try to make that into a very fast-paced novel. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is kind of the opposite. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe doesn't really... and in Tolkien, in Ron Reed's film, J.R.R. Tolkien heckles C.S. Lewis for not creating a world that has its own lore to it. Like, there's a visit from Santa Claus. Well, at the same time, like, if you stop and read all the Narnia books, like, I got really into them. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of fell out of love with them because you don't follow just one story, right? Yeah. You follow there's... so many different stories and you kind of build this world around through ages mm-hmm. without following any specific character and you only actually see these kids like twice maybe three times i can't remember right you now you see all of the you see lucy and edmund three times you see lucy peter you see and you see peter and susan two of those times really and then yeah, yeah. and you see the four of them together two times cuz prince yeah. caspian and lion which yeah. wardrobe and they mentioned that too cuz like so in the series, there are seven books. It starts, with, it starts with the magician's nephew, which is the story of their uncle. And mm. that's commonly ignored because their uncle brought the White Witch to Narnia. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought there were only seven, six. Yeah, because so what happened you is... You did tell me it was, it was the second one and not the first one. It was commonly believed. In the magician's nephew, he discovers this sort of world that is just pools. And jumping into the pools takes you to different worlds. <gasps> And he finds one that's just rubble. And sitting alone in this throne is the White Witch because she killed this world. Whoa. And he brought him. Why did he bring her back? Because he doesn't know. And he brings her to these pools and she thinks, I can conquer everything. But the thing is that only humans can go back and forth. Oh, so she dropped into one. Yeah, and she's stuck in Narnia. And there's this this element in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and this definitely is the magician's nephew, that she wants to do evil for the magnificence of it. And that's why in the in the CGI'd recent movie, yeah, Tilda Swinton is a great fit for the witch. Um, and uh, Deboer, when she's playing the witch, really does channel that very loud, posh, clear accent, like this definite sense of cruelty. She was surprisingly good as the witch. They have her elevated really high up because she's a tiny little woman, <laughs> but the witch is huge. Like, the witch is a giantess. Well, she's a djinn. 
she's a but she's like a giant in the play. I do have one question because I was reading the program. Yes. Um, who is or what is exactly the tour guide? The tour guide. Oh yeah, the tour guide. So there's she tours. She comes in for like a second. It's 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 McGonagall. No, no, McCorgal- <laughs> McGonagall. No. Oh wait. Like, this turns into a Harry Potter. <laughs> Can I <class>, compute? So. <laughs> and then the Patronus killed the witch. The end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> and, and then Tumblr exploded. Oh wait, it's doing that anyway. Um, the uh, the tour guide. She's in the the book as well. She's the one who scared them into the wardrobe. Scared them all into the wardrobe at first. Oh, I She's see. like the housekeeper, and there's tours being given of the house. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And as she comes in for just a second, just to yeah. push them into the closet, like Jack said. Now, Margarita, I do have a question for you because you didn't see this. What was your impression of this, seeing this for the first time? Well, I did see this, but it was so long ago I can't remember. Like, like I told you, I didn't. Am I spoiling? You it hadn't if seen I said, this, I should say. Yeah, I hadn't. Well, I've I watched the movie a really long time ago. Um, I really love the use of the space. I don't know if it's common knowledge, but the Pacific has um, how do you call it? Just like two-sided uh, audience. Oh, cool. I guess the, well, the stage is open both to the front and to the back. Oh, so it's like a round stage. It's not a round stage. It's because just it, front, front and back. back. So yeah. it's like the sides are covered. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So that was the first element setting the stage for the magnificent use of the space. Um, and also uses of really simple things like the the same basic furniture that was there from the beginning was used to do everything like starting from a table like a, a chair and a table we're posing as a chair and a table like <laughs> for drinking tea and whatever yeah a lot of physical acting too and like then, a lot of real it's a re- very physical performance for both and then it was also like Santa's uh, sleigh and um, it was really cool that like use of the the minimalistic elements and use of uh, uh, white cotton uh, drapes kind of as both to signify how the storage room was closed off for a long time and both to serve as the snow in Narnia. Cool. Yeah, so like a lot of that going on. Um, really nice use of um, accessories and other elements to uh, uh, symbol changing characters. That was cool. And like I was telling Jake after we, we've seen the play, um, I didn't I didn't feel deprived by the fact that there was no like hoo-ha and big like he was telling me about how uh another version of it there was there were four people playing the lion oh that's yeah so i because in stratford ontario they put on a version of this and i took my nephews to see it and the woman playing the queen was really tall definitely an opera singer she could project and she was frightening uh, yeah, it was a good performance. And then Aslan was a giant, I don't almost animatronic lion with four guys like for each of the legs. Oh, cool! So one guy for each of the legs. And my nephews were terrified oh. because there's a scene where spoiler Aslan is sacrificed at the stone table, and they it it, it turned into a gigantic horrifying shadow play. <laughs> and I'm like, if I was a small child, yeah, I'd probably be frightened of that a little bit, just just a wee bit. <laughs> yeah. Aww. But one thing I did, I was really thrilled to see is that the kids in the audience were enjoying it. Oh, that's good. oh yeah, for sure. And I'd, I'd highly recommend it. Is say, Would you recommend it, Margarita? Yeah, for sure. Like, I was just starting <laughs> to say that I didn't feel deprived by the fact that there were no, like, big elements or just mm-hmm. this play on uh, with the minimalistic uh, things that they did have on stage. It was really magical. I, I felt like it was kind of a Christmassy thing. I don't know, just like... Um, magical spirit and 
I did go through like the whole process of like the whole range of emotions. I didn't know that Aslan is gonna like get revived. So oh. I was sad. Oh, yeah. Aslan is Jesus. You're welcome. Um. You, you know, I, I disagree with you. Like reviving, uh, not every time somebody sacrifices himself and then comes back to life, no, but he that is was instantly ex- Jesus. No, but that's actually. That was explicitly C.S. Lewis's yeah, point. That's exactly I'm what not he Never mind. I <laughs> take it back. No, 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 I'm not saying it was well done. I'm saying that was the, the, the specific point. Um, make of that what you will. Uh, well, he did die for it. What's his name? Edmund? For Edmund, yes. And he died for a traitor, too. So Barabbas Judas. There's a lot of ways to read it. Um, it th- the more nebulous, the better. It helps him live longer. Um, now, before we uh, we bail, because the medicine show is on after us, and we can hear him tuning up out there, and it's and intimidating. And it seems really cool. They've got a, like yeah. an entire band out there. They've got a whole setup in the lounge. They've got a whole string section. Um, some shout-outs. So Shiny Fuzzy Muddy, which is a, um, it is a collective uh, of crafts, uh, crafts people and... Artists, uh, including uh, Diana Waters' handmade contemporary cross-stitch, cross Kathleen Tenex ceramic studio, uh, Bianca Barr's accessories, clothing, jewelry, Mama Mui Lab, uh, which is ceramics, and Billy Wool Designs, which is reclaimed hardwood jewelry, and a whole bunch of other things that are in the press release that I am reading as we speak. <laughs> um, they are on at Heritage Hall for the 8th and the 9th. Check them out if you want to pick up some interesting bits of... Art and design, excuse me. Um, another one, Opera Mariposa and the Vancouver Opera Company are bringing Mozart to the 21st century with a body-positive new production of the classic opera Così fan tutte, um, which is, as far as I'm, uh, it, it's, so it's a 230-year-old opera um, being adapted, uh, which translates to they all do it. I think so. I speak Italian. I should be able to verify that. Um, <laughs> and it's described as an antidote to the winter blues, a fun tropical getaway right here in Vancouver, which you could also call the outcome of global warming. Uh, moving on, and the thing that I am thrilled for uh, is the Naughty Holiday Puppet Cabaret. Yes, that's the Triple Xmas Puppet Cabaret at the Red Gate Review Stage, just in time for the holidays at December 8th. This, I believe, is brought is put on uh, by the people who um, founded the Vancouver International Puppet Festival. I believe there's some people who worked on the Studio 58, not the Studio 58, the Arts Club version of Avenue Q, uh, if I remember uh, properly, which is Question. a lot. I had to. Uh, what's what's a puppet cabaret? Because a cabaret. It's a cabaret with puppets. But uh, a cabaret is like burlesque style. Yes. Dancing. Oh yes. And uh, um, with puppets. Well, yes. I guess uh, you understand. The uh, there are as um, um, a murderous Mindy the Mermaid, the amorous burlesque stylings of Dandelion Wine and Fluffy Tenth Street, irreverent musing and observations by the lovable monster Merv, an inappropriate edition of the hit game show The Mating Game, one lucky participant from the audience volunteers, much like Blind date and many more i'm actually really excited for this because this seems like a blast uh that is december 8th the red gate review stage on granville island definitely check that out check out opera mariposa shiny fuzzy figs night like that yeah it is good to be back convivial holidays we'll see you next week i'm jake clark i'm lua margarita and as always it's a treat cheers British Columbia is in the middle of an electoral referendum. Throughout November, eligible voters will be asked to choose between the current system of first-past-the-post or one based on proportional representation. But what is first-past-the-post? In this system, voters choose one candidate in their riding. The candidate who receives the highest number of votes wins the riding, and the party who wins the greatest number of ridings forms the government. 
To learn more about First Past the Post and the proportional representation systems, go to uvotebc.ca. If you haven't received your ballot, go to elections.bc.ca to find out how. 